when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And Jesus, we thank you so much for paying that pardon for us. And, you know, it wasn't something that we could have done on our own. And it wasn't just something that you deserved at all. You came from heaven. You came from a throne. And you didn't have to do any of it, but you came to, to serve. You came to be a servant. You came to be a slave. And, and you died for us. You died for sinners, man. You died for people who didn't even want you. But God, let us worship you freely, knowing that these shackles are not going to hold us because of you. Let us freely love you and worship you with everything that we have. Even if we're coming into this room tonight with an empty cup, God, would you fill our cups? Because you're a God of abundance. You're a God of overflow. And God, you're going you're gonna to bless us just by seeking you. Help us to seek you first now in your word, in your presence. And help us to just be real. If we're not in the best place, let us be real about that. And if we are in the best place, let us give you glory to that. But God, thank you so much for worship. Thank you so much for prayer. Thank you so much for letting us praise you. I pray in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. First Timothy 3, 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, and not greedy for dishonest gain. It's First Timothy 3, 8. Great reading. Let's pray. Keep, you, keep our attention on you, God. Coming into this place, being awakened to the reality that you did this, you're doing this, you're bringing us together. We were singing songs, spiritual songs and hymns to you, Lord. It's your song. It's to you be the glory. Our eyes, our affections, our hearts, our heavenward. The temptation is to drift from that. We don't want to fall from that. And even in preaching and teaching, even in Bible study, we can do that. So please don't let us wander right now. Don't let us drift. Thank you so much for everyone's diligence, their devotion to study literally one verse by verse in these past uh, few weeks. And as we have read one more and continue to chew on one more together as an ohana, it is so needed that you, Holy Spirit, would put this word in our hearts. This is where it belongs. You desire truth in the inner parts, wisdom in the secret heart, and from within, let it flow out into our artful living. Fill this time with joy, laughter, humor that is right and fitting, and weightiness that is appropriate. Um, help us to keep thinking beyond us, for the parents to think about our children, for the children to think about their future children, um, and, and just what could happen um, when our time is done here, we want to be a church that is thinking maturely, not immaturely. And so we pray that even sin that is perhaps buried beneath the surface, stuff that we're hiding tonight, stuff that we're trying to cover up and pretend and act like, um, bring it to the surface, God. Work in us to, con to confess tonight. Prick us where it needs to be pricked. Cut us 
to where it needs to be cut, that there might be true healing and restoration in life. So break us down and build us up by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Take a deep breath in. Let it out. One verse. We'll chew on it together um, and ask God again. And as we go going through this series, a couple ways to, to read it and hear it. First for ourselves and then also for the office and how to pray for our current deacons and the future deacons. Okay? Just a couple ways to kind of frame your mind right now as we walk through this together. God, give us grace right now. More of it, we pray. We need it. Thank you so much for the energy in the room, the interest. That's all a gift from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So very much like the pastorate, right, when we begun about a month and a half ago on that, when you think of a pastor, you have a preconception. I think also with the, with the office of deacon, right? If I were to say, what is a deacon or what do you think a deacon is? You have a thought. You have a preconception. My perennial preconception up until I really started to read the Bible better, when I thought of a deacon, I just merely only thought of the uncles that serve the communion. That's just, in my mind, that's what a deacon is. Because based upon your tradition or what church setting you grew up in, you might have a different preconception. You might have a preconception, oh, the deacon is the guy that's always talking stink about the pastor or something. Or, you know, the deacon is the guy that's always, you know, he sits in the back and just kind of does, does his own thing during the Bible studies. Or maybe the deacon is the guy that's always sweeping or the persons that are always just cleaning the facilities. Or, you know, you, I don't know what kind of preconceptions you have um, or thoughts that you have of when you think of deacon. Or deaconing. Um, growing up in this church, my fondest and most fresh memory of my interactions with a deacon was I was about seven, eight years old, and I had some buddies that were seven, eight years old. And like I said, deacons equals communion time. So whenever I saw the deacons get active, I knew it was the Lord's Supper. We have Lord's Supper this week. And so it was, for me, it was the communion heist. It was the opportunity to snag all the leftover communion stuff. And I remember the deacons, they come, they serve everything, and they'd finish up here at the front. And when the deacons kind of passed my row, I'd look over at my friends, and we'd give each other the wink and the signal, and we'd follow, Mom, i got to go to the restroom. And we'd follow them, and right when the deacons put all the communion elements down and they found their seats, it was like, put all the crackers and stuff I could in my pocket and run to the bathroom and snack with my friends. And that was my growing up experience of my, any kind of exposure to deaconship. It was the guys that came and served this, what I thought was snack or whatever, a holy snack. Um, and that's it. I, I had no other thoughts of when I heard the term deacon, that's all I thought of. Now, you and all of us might have a variety of thoughts. But why we're Bible studying is we want God's thoughts. We want to know what God says the pastor is, the deacon is, and how they are to function together. Something I think that just studying through church leadership in general with you guys, and I'm speaking to us here in the house, I think this past month and a half, this has brought us a lot closer. Why I say that is because I think naturally as we've been studying church leadership and we've been fellowshipping and talking, I've been hearing a lot more stories from you guys of your own scars and experiences of bad leadership. 
And I appreciate God doing that in our church and in, our, in the life that we're living together. To really kind of open up those, those wounds and share and be transparent. I, I feel like the Spirit of God has been blessing us with a transparency when it comes to church, church life, and leadership structure. And then it's exciting that you, us, as just Christians, as members, and I, I don't say that as a, in a lesser way. That's a massive thing. Members, you hold the keys. You are the priesthood of all believers, but you're starting to recognize the weightiness of that responsibility, right? We are the church leadership search committee. The people that we have as leaders of our church is our kuleana, and so I'm really blessed just through this time studying together. I feel like it's really been bringing us closer. Um, and for me as a leader, one of the leaders in the church, I feel just a lot more stronger. I don't know how any other words to put it. Like, like we are stronger together. And if we don't wrestle with these things and know it well, um, that's going to set us up for disaster. So anyway, um, you know... I, Last thing before we get into the verse, I hope and pray as we look at these things, what's tempting is to, as we, as, whenever I go slow, a big temptation is to get lost in the weeds. You know, we're going we're gonna to rip at dignified and double-tongued and addicted to wine and dishonest gain. We're going to rip at that. Don't get so lost in the weeds of the word studies. Always try to zoom out and see the big picture of this whole letter. This is Paul writing to a church that's hurting, Ephesus. And he's giving them a big letter. If he can't get to them, he wants them to know how to live as a church from the Bible. And now we're in chapter 3, and he's honing in on church leadership. But see the big picture now. This all started because sound doctrine wasn't being preached. The gospel was all kapakai. And when the gospel is confusing from the top down, then what happens? Corporate prayer and worship was needed help. Relationships between men and women needed help. Leadership needed help. And that's where we're at tonight. Okay, so don't get lost in the weeds. I hope and pray that by this time, you'll be able to look at the, elder, the qualification of the elders and see and connect the dots and how that gets back to Christ. My hope and prayer is that as we kind of go through the deacon, um, the deaconship office, you'll be able to look at these things and see how it connects to Christ. Okay, so let's not get lost in the weeds of a deep word study. Always zoom out and zoom in. Zoom out, zoom in. That's how you read your Bible healthy. So with that said... Let's go. Let's shift gears with Paul as he goes from the elders to the deacons. So it says, deacons, likewise. We'll chew on this slowly. So deacons, diakonos. Um, the other ways it's put in the Greek is diakoneo or diakonias, depending on how it's used as a verb or, or a noun or an adjective. This type of word, which just Merely, it simply means um, one who executes the command of an authority. In other words, it's a servant. It's a minister. This is used in those versions about a hundred times in the New Testament. So there's a variety of ways of diakonal or diaconal work. But specifically here, it's speaking to the second office in the New Testament. The first one we've studied is the overseer or the pastor or the elder very good and then you have here the deacon now I want to just think broad in general because first all of us are called to diaconals we're all called to serve generally right to serve one another in 
love, to follow in the footsteps of the ultimate deacon, our servant king, Philippians 2, Jesus Christ, right? It says, in humility, count one another, um, count others more significantly than yourselves. This is Philippians 2. Let each one of you not look to his own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. This is generally to the Christian, all right? Who, though he was the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied, he emptied himself, and he took the form of a servant, a diaknos. You see, servants in heart, at heart, a diaconal heart is climaxed and cultivated in looking at the person and work of Jesus. We love because he first loved, and we serve because he first served. Question, when you walk into a room or into a space or into a gathering, do you think, how can this space be better because I'm here? You walk into a room. You walk into a park. You walk into a restaurant. You walk into your friend's house. You get into a car. Is your thought process, do you have this in your mind? How can this place be better because I am here? That's the mindset of a servant. That's the heart of a servant. And Jesus is the epitome of that. He's the epitome of it. When you go to the kitchen sink, children or adults, do you wash only your dish or the rest of the dishes that are in there? When it's time to get a meal from the fridge, do you feed your belly or do you go, is anyone else hungry? Right? When I used to, um, with my parents, we had some rooms, and we used to rent it out to some college students and some college bratas and, um, while they were in their, in their semesters. And we would always talk, and the young single guys, and they're always talking about marriage and wanting to get married. And, um, and, and there was one week I was like, we, we, had, we were talking about the subject of a servant's heart, and, I was, and we were talking about, you know, if you're going to get married, if you want to get married, you need to learn how to have a servant's heart. And they're talking about, that. oh, I have a servant's heart. And, da, 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 da. and then somewhere in the conversation, I was telling them, you know, roommates, because there was three of them at the time. I said, the way you guys treat one another, the way you consider each other, is probably the way that you're going to treat your future wife. And you know what happened the next week, what I hear in the hallway? Oh, bro, you, you, you get laundry. <laughs> you let me do your laundry, bro. Oh, yeah, 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 bro. <laughs> oh, you guys hungry? You hungry too? I'll, I'll cook for you. <laughs> Lord Jesus, give me a wife, right? No, but it, it's, it's, that's, that's, all of that flows, though, and comes from Christ, though, right? Matthew 28, 20, it says this, even as the Son of Man, he came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life, the full expression of that service, as a ransom for many. Why it's important to stop here from the top down is because the office of deacon is patterned. It's set in motion by Jesus Christ himself. It is a high and a holy calling. A preconception I had in my mind before was the deacon is less than the elder. There's the elders and then the deacons. As if there's a ranking order there. The deacon is a high and holy calling. We have deacons in the house. We do have deacons in our church. We have more deacons than we have pastors. 
And I want us all biblically to view it appropriately. This is a weighty call. These are people who are called to embody and exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ. So I I do want to crush old preconceptions and give us a better perception. Luke 22 24 to 27, there was a dispute that arose among them, the disciples, to which who's going to be regarded as the greatest? Who's the greatest, Jesus? And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them that are called benefactors, but not so with you. You see, greatness in the world has a different definition. And greatness in my kingdom, Jesus says, this is greatness. Not so with you, rather... Let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And listen to this. This is Luke 22. And the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? See, in the world's economy, who would be the greater in a picture? The guy with all the flash sitting at the table or the one giving the food? In Jesus' mindset, it's the waiter. But in the world's mindset, no, it's the guy getting served. It is not the one who reclines. And then Jesus says, but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is saying, I'm the greatest. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to lay it down eventually. This is huge, guys. This is a call to all believers. And it just so happens that the deacon, the office of deacon, they must exemplify that expression to the T. Here's the first point as we start to tackle this concept of deacons. There are two New Testament offices for church leadership. We get that from the likewise. There's that shift. That's a big, Sovereign brought that up. Deacons, there's overseers, and then likewise, there's deacons. So there's two offices now that Paul is talking about, elders and deacons. The first sub-point of this I want us to see is that both offices, both offices are examples set by Christ. We saw that. I don't need to belabor that in, in the pastorate, right? I hope you saw that Jesus is the great good shepherd, right? And so it is with the deacon. Jesus is the servant of servants. He came to serve. He took the form of a servant. So we need to understand this about elders and deacons, that both of these offices ought to point us to Christ. And that's why all of us as Christians can read a text like this and not check out. And they all only apply to the pastor, only apply to the deacon. No, it applies to the Christian because all of us are trying to follow who? Christ. Sure, if an elder and a deacon serves, well, give them honor. Encourage, the, encourage them. They need it. But don't stop there. See past the pastor. See past the deacon. And see that this comes from Christ. Oh, at New Honor Baptist Church, you know what I pray? That we would have a church that the, the leader that gets talked about the most, the one who gets the most glory, the one who gets the most bragging rights, the one who gets the most magnification, 
The one who gets talked about all the time, who becomes famous in our church, is the one who's the head of the church, the ultimate good shepherd, the real ultimate deacon, Jesus Christ. Amen? This is how we all want to see leadership. It's, it's pointing us to Jesus. And when the offices don't lead in that way, they're doing it wrong. Second subpoint to this that I hope for us to see is this. Both offices, elder and deacon, they show a form of servitude and a form of leadership. All right? H.B. Charles put it like this, and I like that. How, I like it. Just so simple. Um, the elders serve by leading, and the deacons lead by serving. The elders serve by exercising that leadership, preaching the word and prayer, And the deacons, they lead by serving. They are the lead servants. All of us are called to serve. But a deacon, that special office, are the people who lead us in the service. They'll organize it. They'll get it going. The elders will say, you know, we're hopping in the truck and we're heading out to Waianae. And the deacons will say, all right, but we know more enough seats to get us all to Waianae. And you better check the gas because I don't know if we can make them. Because get traffic, choke, and they work together. You see, you see the difference? And they're both important, and they're both needed. So together, corporately, so when it says likewise, you have to think in conjunction with the elders. Because the overseers and all those qualifications and then deacons, likewise, it's teaching us something. That they're not two offices that are against each other. There's the elders versus the deacons. Because that can happen in a church. That could happen in our church. No, it's the elders with the deacons, with the membership. And when the elders and the deacons and the church members learn to function together harmoniously, you know what happens, church? Glory. It's beautiful. We're going to plunge in later, not tonight, into the book of Acts chapter 6 and look at that story again. Remember the story when we were there in the book of Acts a few years ago? There was a dispute. The church was growing. They had some difficulties, you know, um, financial difficulties and all that kind of stuff. And they had problems. And they needed to raise, they needed to call seven, the the apostles, the forerunner of the elder, and the, the seven, the forerunner of the deacon. And you know what happened at the end when they worked together? What happened? The word of God, this is 6 verse 7, the word of God increased. And the number of disciples multiplied, and many came to the faith. Remember, okay, get out of the weeds, now zoom up. If we get this right, if we start to get a good handle on what is a deacon, what is an elder, and what is a member, and how they work together, guess what happens? The word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only is preached loud and clear, it's seen and displayed loud and clear, and the word of God increases. And the number of people coming to faith multiplies. You know what that means? Your children, your uncles, your aunties, your best friends, your, your coworkers, people who are here, they're going to come to faith and know Jesus. The great elder, the great deacon, don't you want that? Don't we want that? That's always got to be the big picture aim. And so as we kind of slowly bleed into these qualifications, I just want us to see that first. There's two offices, elder, deacon. Both offices point us to Christ, and both offices are forms of servitude. The elder, right now I'm serving you. I'm diaconing right now. 
I'm a deacon of the word. Very good. When I lead you in corporate prayer, when we, on Sunday nights, the pastors lead us in prayer, we're, we're, we're serving, we're diaconing, deacons of the word and prayer. But there's just, there's more than that. There's more to that. And we need each other. And so both are forms of servitude and both are forms of leadership. Okay, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, okay, so he goes, deacons likewise, and here we go, must be dignified. This is not a new word for us. First Timothy 3, 4 to 5, it's the same word for the elder that was used. He must uh, manage his whole household with all dignity. It's semnos. It's the word of worthy of respect, venerable. This is not a word that's, um, this is something you, you, you are given, right? Dignity or respect or worthiness. It, it doesn't come overnight. It's what? It's Christ-like character confirmed by the community. Some of this is repeat. Gabe said it's just, he's, Paul is sub, summing it up in dig, as must be dignified. It's the same point for the elder, and I'll just give it to us again. Deacons also, likewise, must have a Christ-like character. Christ-like character, that's what we're going to see now as he keeps going. Confirmed by the community. One who is dignified is validated by the community around him. You see, the deacons, they are to be people who, their, their, their character is known. That's what it means to be dignified. Now, it makes me think of the context. Can you imagine what kind of deacons were in the church right now at Ephesus? They had bad teachers. The church was all upside down. I wouldn't, I would dare, I would bet that in this church presently, right now when Paul was writing this, there was deacons in the office that, didn't, that weren't dignified. It wouldn't shock me. Now, can you just imagine that for a little bit? Just sit on that? To have a title without the respect of the congregation? You guys ever been in situations like that? When the leader or the deacon is, is ruling and, and leading and serving in such a way, but the, the church is, that, that person's not dignified. That can cause a lot of damage. That can cause a lot of disunity. That can cause a lot of disruption. And that's why Paul is saying the deacon must be dignified. Now our church, we're congregationally ruled because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And that, like in Acts 6, we are to select the leaders so listen, church body, listen, brothers and sisters, because every year we do have deacon nominations, and we do have deacons that are presently serving. And already tonight, you can begin in your heart of hearts to pray that these who serve as deacons are dignified. And if and not, and when they fall short, let's pray and let's come alongside and help. We don't want leaders in the church that have a title but not respect. It's not good for the office. It's not good for the person serving, and it's not good for the church. Much to be said about that, but let's keep going. So, But look at the flow. Think about it. If you have leaders that are not dignified, that are serving in those roles, it's very tempting to be the next thing. The deacon must not be double-tongued. Now, I appreciate Micah's insight on that because I agree with that. We can't just have leaders that talk, talk, and say, say, but don't do. That's a yes and amen there. But here's the point. Deacons are not 
hypocritical liars. Rather, they are to be honest with their word. I'll tell you how I got that. Deacons are not hypocritical liars. Rather, they're to be honest to their word. Now, double-tongued, dilogos, it's kind of fun to say. Um, it's to say one thing to one person and then say a different thing to another. It's the same thing as two-faced, um, hypocritical. Uh, it's the idiom of being forked tongue. The tongue is like this. But what the picture is painting is this, is, you know, someone comes up to you. Hey, um, picnic's around the corner. You think you can help me out with something here um, to get ready for the church picnic? And you say, oh, absolutely. And then right when they leave, you turn to your friend and say, as if I have nothing better else to do. Someone comes up to you, hey, hey brother, how does shirt look on me? Kind of tight or what? And then you say, oh, you look, you look great, bro. You look shaka. And then when they walk away, you say to your friend, like when shaka shark. Big will, you know, or whatever. You know, you, you say something that's like, you said this to him, and now you're going to say this to her. See, double-tongued people, they say things deceitfully, but they, say, they live in the mouths of other people. They craft their words in such a way where I'm saying this to you because I want you to think this, and then I'm going to say this to you because I want you to think this. This, guys... We need to stay on here a little bit because this is scary stuff. Double-tongueness, the Bible has a lot to say about this type of person. They're talking in a way to get a desired response from the, the person that's listening to them. And they're deceitful and cunning. They're taking after the father of lies, the devil. You remember back in the garden? Oh, you'll surely not die, the, sa- the snake says to Eve coming off like he's concerned about her health and well-being, when deep in his heart he knows he'd probably turn to a demon. As soon as she bites that thing, she's dead. Double-tongued. And so what sin ushered into the world and what we are cursed with from Abraham who lied about his wife to Isaac who lied again, right? Abraham lied to Pharaoh. Isaac lied to Abimelech. And then Isaac's son, Jacob, lied to him. And the line goes on and on and on. The double-tongueness, Jesus says in John 8, when he lies, speaking of Satan, he speaks out from his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Guys, the power of the tongue, it's a powerful thing. The proverb writer says it has the power of life and death. James says in James 3, it says this, the tongue, it's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. Did you realize your tongue has the ability to do that? Just consider how much heartache and disruption and disunity can be done by a people who are double-tongued. They say one thing and say one thing. Or they say one thing and they do one thing. Hypocrisy. Lying. Now can you imagine if there's double-tongued leadership? I wouldn't be surprised in Ephesus at the time. Undignified deacons. Unqualified elders, I would imagine the double-tongueness is everywhere. 
the gossip's probably through the roof, the chirping in the corners, right? That's what local people say. Oh, why you chirp, bro? That's what's happening. And that's what Paul is addressing. This kind of stuff, guys, double-tongueness, it's destructive. It's deadly. But just think first for ourselves, are we double-tongued? Like, think tonight. Start home. Start here. Start with your heart. Do you say one thing to this and say another to that? Do we? Do we talk a certain way here at church? And then when you're at the beach with your friends, you talk a certain way? Do you sing the songs we sang tonight and then when you're in, in your car, you jam a different beat? Double-tongueness. That's two-facedness. You know what the result of that is, though? It's the result of an impure heart. It's not one-tongued. You're not one heart. You're impure in your heart. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 12, it's out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So double-tongued people got kapakai heart. It's all mixed up. So things come out double-tongued. Our words reveal our heart. This double-tongueness that Paul is addressing, it's really an issue of the heart. Let me read more of what Jesus says just to warn us. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. And Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be, you will be, not might be, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Does that not cause you to tremble if you're a double-tongued liar tonight? Are you a chronic liar? Do you tend to exaggerate and call it fibs or half-truths? How far? Someone asks you how tall you are, you just add an extra inch. What weight you? You cut off a few pounds? Your friend calls you, hey, what's your ETA, bro? How far are you? Oh, I'm five minutes away, but you didn't even get in your car. We laugh because we know, though. This is serious. Are we double-tongued? Because this is deadly stuff, guys. Repent now. Repent now, tonight. The Bible says we're going to be held accountable for our double-tongued words. Let us be a people that Jesus says in Matthew 5. Let our yes be yes and our no's be no. But it's all going to begin with our hearts. So repent now. If you are chronically lying, if you're living in a lie tonight, I am pleading with you with everything I got. Repent and trust in Christ. Come clean. Confess the lie. Just own it. Just own it. Stop lying. Because judgment is coming if you remain persistent in that sin. And praise the Lord that there is one who's never been double-tongued. There's one who's never lied. There's one who never swears falsely. There's one who has always kept his word. There's one who's always been faithful to his promise. And that is the man, Jesus Christ. It's the word of God. It's why we love it, right? It's why we come to a Bible study because everything in there is true. 
And praise God that you can trust in his promise that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive and he will cleanse you of your double-tongued lying. So please, repent tonight. Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that, Acts chapter 5? Barnabas, right, he was sold property, gave everything. And then it says right after that, Ananias and Sapphira, they did the same thing. But with the knowledge of the wife, Ananias goes, hey, babe, I just sold this, got all this, but we go... We will make like we're giving all, but we will keep some for each other. And they wink, wink. Oh, yeah, good idea. Double-tongued. They brought it to the apostles' feet. Here's my offering. I'm giving all, and I love the Lord. And in the secret of hearts to someone else, nah. And then this is what happens. I'll read it to you. You have lied, Peter, saying to Ananias. You have lied not to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. I'm sharing these verses with you because I love us. And I have to take this for my heart as well. Are we living in any lies tonight? Tonight's the night. Confess. There's grace for you at the cross. And it happens, just so happens that for the deacon, these must be people who have worked through this. And they've come to find they no longer need to live in the shadows and lie and say one thing here and say one thing there. They can be honest. The deacons are to be people that we can trust because they're the people that say, I'm going to serve in this way and I'm going to follow through. That's a deacon. They come through. They show up. They don't just say. They don't just talk. They walk. Let's keep going. A couple more. So the deacons are not to be hypocritical liars. Rather, they to be honest to their word, and they're not to be addicted to much wine. So the double-tongueness is what's coming out of the person, and the addiction, the intoxication is, of the wine is what's going in. It's what they need to fill themselves with. Now, this word addicted is very interesting to me. It's prosecco. And when I read that in the Greek, I was like, oh, I know that word, because Paul uses it a lot. 1 Timothy 1.4, it's the same word he uses when he says, they devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Or 1 Timothy 4.1, they devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings. And here's another one in 1 Timothy 4.13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That's cool. That's a cool addiction. Devoted to the public reading of Scripture. But that's the word here. It's painting a constant awareness, an attention that's always on. It's a devotion. So he's saying these who are going to serve as deacons, they got to be people. They're not devoted to much wine. Now, in this particular context, that may be the struggle of the day. And I would say it's the struggle of our day as well. Alcohol. These things are in the Bible. There's an emptiness. There's a dissatisfaction in the soul. There's an appetite that hasn't been met and... They resort to wine or some other substance, whatever it is you put there. But it's causing them to be addicted. Now, this must not be the case, not just for the deacon, but for all of us, for the believer. Why? Because all of us were called to love God with all our heart, our minds, our souls, and our strength. And any type of substance that would impair that, beloved, we must not let ourselves become enslaved to it. See, the deacon has to be a person that has 
spiritually grown and matured to a place where they've learned this. They've learned that the pleasures of this life, and in this case, wine, it's not going to fully fill it. That's why the point here is for us. Deacons are not filled with wine, but rather they are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the deacon is someone who's read the Proverbs in Proverbs 20, verse 1, where it says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler, and whoever's led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, 29 to 35. Listen to this. This this hit my heart. Especially as a young man when I was dealing with stuff like this. Woe. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who's got strife? Who's got complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who's got redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go and try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent. It stings like an adder. And your eyes will see strange things. And your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Like the one who lies on the top of a mast. And you'll say, they struck me. And you'll say, but I was not hurt. They beat me. I didn't feel it. When shall I wake up? And then they say, I must have another drink. This is scripture. This is God's grace to us. It's a warning. This vicious cycle of addiction, whether it's alcohol or pornography or some other substance that is intoxicating the senses, it's not fitting for a believer and it's sure not fitting for the deacon. We are all called to love the Lord our God with everything we got. My prayer and hope is that your incentive, your motive to not be addicted to much of these things is because it's going to take away from you tasting and experiencing better. God. That's why Paul, in his letter to the same church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't get drunk on wine. Why is he saying that to this church? This should comfort us. Because in this church, there was a lot of drunkenness. And praise God, they were there. But the Bible's speaking to them where they're at. And he's saying, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. And then he says, on the contrary, but here's the option. God doesn't just say, no, do this, no, do this, no, do this, and no can. Just no, no, no. That's not Christianity. He's saying, say no to say yes, but be filled, actually filled. What was the message Pastor Bob preached on Sunday? You hungry? What you hungry for? Is what you're hungry for worth it? Is what you're hungry for, can it fill it? Are you chasing wind tonight? You're trying to fill yourself with something and someone. Those are real heart questions. That's the serious issue here. And Christ is the answer. The Spirit is the, it's, 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 it's there. But be filled with the Spirit. There's a greater filling in the Christian life that I long for. That nothing in this life can taste or touch. Don't you want to know it? I remember so many times in my journals as a believer, young boy, I was just writing in my, I'm so tired and sick of just not, I want to taste what this psalmist is saying. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know that yet, God. But I want it. To live as Christ, to die is gain? How do you say that and mean it? 
That's where, that's where you got to be if, if, if you're addicted to something tonight. If you're devoted to these worldly things. Addiction, addictions of this life are deceptive, guys. It's false, it's false advertisement. That's why the proverb says, don't look at the smoothness of it. It's going to bite you. And then Paul comes later and says, be filled with Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not fitting for followers of Christ, and it's especially not fitting for the deacon. Servants in leadership in the church, we must keep our wits. We got to be self controlled. We got to be sober minded. We can't be given to addiction and our impulses. That's the standard for the deacon. See, these are people that perhaps these deacons were at once addicted. Were at once these things. But the gospel has broken them down and built them up where they have now this character, this Christ-like character. And I want to encourage everyone in the house, all these things, all these things that we read, if, you're, if you think it's impossible for you, that's a lie. You can do this. We can do all things through Christ. This is attainable by the gospel. It's just all a work of grace. It is God who works in us to will and to work. Believe that. Believe that. And the deacon, the deacon, he's got to know it. He's got to know it and taste it. So all these other little lame little temptations, false addiction advertisements, the deacon says, nah. And I'm like, I got better. Let's finish up. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Not greedy for dishonest gain. I said in observation time, this is a big phrase, but it's one Greek word. And it means filthy lucre. It's just shameful profit. It's greedy specifically for money, but you're getting it in an illegal way. Now, this is interesting that this, is, this, this word's not used a lot. I think it's only used once in the New Testament. Oh, no, one other time in Titus, speaking to the overseer, he must not be greedy for gain. It's the same word. Now, this, I think, is especially specific for the deacon. I don't know who said it in observation time, but the deacons are typically in charge of the financial stuff. So like Judas, it must have been much more easy for them to distribute the benevolence to the widows and the poor and then, whoops, slip some. That's very likely, I think, in this context. But that's the character trait. It's, a, it's crooked. It's corrupt. Here's the last point to close. Deacons are not crooked and corrupt. Are not crooked and corrupt. Rather, they're content in Christ. The deacon, the overseer, both offices of leadership, they must be filled with a godliness, with contentment. And the Bible says that is of great gain. No believer, no believer should be involved in corrupt, crooked business. They can't be people who use godliness to get financial gain. You see, the deacon has to have been matured and grown in godliness and come to this place of a satisfaction in Christ that they're mature, they're complete, they're lacking nothing. They don't need to resort to the, the little ploys of the world, the quick the, the, the get-rich-quick schemes and all those little things. They don't, they're not into that business anymore. They're no longer pulled by these things. They see through all the shady deals. 
the small, insignificant little dreams of getting rich and fame and fortune. They're, they're over that. They're mature believers, and they came to find that there's surpassing worth and true gain in Christ. They would agree with Paul where he says in Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And for his sake, I suffered the loss of all things, and I count everything else rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Someone who needs to resort to greedy, dishonest gain is someone that is insecure and dissatisfied. And they're trying to fill it. They're trying, so what you trying hard to get tonight? What are you greedy for this evening? What are you craving and desiring? What is your heart hungering for right now? Are you chasing pleasure, prestige, a paycheck, riches, reputation? What is it? Please, don't live your life. Don't waste another minute chasing wind. That's what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes. Let me read it to you. Ecclesiastes 1.14, it says this. I've seen everything done under the sun. That's in this life. Everything done in this life, and behold, it's all vanity. It's all a striving after the wind. Go try chase wind for playtime, kids. Okay, ready, set, get the wind, get it. That's a good game, actually. Exhaust them, huh? And what's the point of the game? You know can, and you bust tired. Put all this effort for nothing. Please. Greedy for dishonest gain, that's what you're doing. Don't live your life that way. Invest in something that's eternal. That in the end, in light of eternity, it matters. Someone who's given to the greed for dishonest gain, they're so nearsighted, they only can see this life. And if we got people like that in the leadership, our church is going to hurt. If you have pastors and deacons that were in this for the money, God have mercy. We should pray. Let's not assume that we couldn't fall into that temptation. Pray for us. Pray for the future leaders of this church that this is not about the money. We have to be people. We have to be a whole body that heeds the words of Christ. Matthew 26, 16. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then loses his soul? You see, for the Christian, that's our faith. That's why we can say and we should say with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because this life is vanity of vanities. Christ is all. So everything we say, think, feel, and do together is for eternal purposes. It's for the glory of God. His kingdom come. His will be done. This is the heart cry of the church and the leaders and the deacons. Got to embody that. They're over the business of trying to use this to gain here. It's not about this life. You see, a deacon knows where the true treasure is found. The deacon has embraced a freedom and a security that is also found in Jesus. They're more than financially secure. They're so secure. They're soul secure. They've debunked all the lies of dishonest gain. 
And now they're free. And they choose true treasure. They've tasted, they've experienced such a deep satisfaction and a contentment of Christ. 1 Timothy 6.6 says this, godliness with contentment is the great gain. Oh, I want to know that gain. Are you discontent tonight? Like when you go to bed at night, do you sigh with satisfaction? Godliness with contentment, Christ is great gain. Lord Jesus, help us know that. Do we know this gain? We're going to pause here because that's a lot, right? And as we weigh these things to heart, my plead again with you tonight, if the word of God has convicted you because of these character attributes that we are all called to do, I'm pleading with you right now. Stop lying. Stop the dishonest gain. If there are things in your life that is double-tongued in nature, repent tonight. You don't know if you're going to make it tomorrow. Come to Christ. Trust in Him. Plead. Grace. Plead. Blood. If we are going to overflow with service, with diaconing, it's going to first start with us emptying ourselves of those things and filling ourselves with the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. True diaconal work is an overflow. My cup overfloweth, says the psalmist. And the office of deacon. That's, this is the beginning of what we're studying. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. Our servant king, Jesus Christ. So weigh these things for yourself. Think about our deacons. Think about the future deacons. And take these things home to know how to, what to look for in a deacon, how to pray for a deacon. And if you aspire to deacon, this is where it's at. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace and the redemption and the restoration that you offer. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned, we have all lied, we have all cheated, we have all stolen. We have all been addicted to much something, and perhaps we're still addicted to much something. And you've called us out of darkness and into light. Oh, please let that happen. Our servant king, thank you for humbling yourself, taking the form of a servant, and coming and interacting with us sinful men. And laying it down, bleeding out for us in love, and conquering sin and death, raising victoriously, ascending, and you're calling us home. Tonight is the night to be free, to be free from all deceit, all addiction, all vices. Do it, we pray, in our church.
And may more deacons arise. May we be a body that serves in love with a pure heart. Do these things, we pray, for your glory. We love you, Lord. Keep us abiding in this love. Deal with us now, Holy Spirit, in the areas you need to. And as we sing it out, let our hearts really pour itself out. And as we fellowship, let us deacon one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Christ alone, Lord, and we thank you for Christ, who has that perfect example, full of all honor and fully dignified, Lord, who came to serve all, Lord. We thank you for that beautiful example that was our Savior and leader, Christ, whom we look to above all things for all fulfillment and satisfaction in this life. Lord, Fill us, help us to taste and see that you are good, Lord, that all other things may fade and fail us, Lord, in this life, but you, our God and Savior Christ, is our hope forever, from now until forevermore. We thank you, Lord, and bless us in, in this time of fellowship. In your name, amen. Go in his peace.